You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, and I'm your host Greg Eld, Culture Change Agent. It is season four, first episode. It's like 5:30 in the morning. I've been finishing up the edits. I am so excited, blessed, and you don't understand how on fire I am right now. So hopefully if you're listening to when you're driving to work, if you're on the metro, wherever you are in the world, Africa, Australia, UK, wherever you are, New York City, Chicago, Houston, yo, New York, I am pumped, yo, like it's season four. I've been, yo, I told you I was going to do it probably early September, but I just could not wait any longer because I was like, yo, hold up, I can't let a whole month go by without getting this thing started because I know it's been like five weeks outside of the Korean podcast, man. So I'm excited to be back. I got a lot of housekeeping things I want to share. And matter of fact, let me share these housekeeping things real quick before I get into my early intro rant. And then I jump into when I tell you this is one of the best shows I've ever done, hands down. Like drop the mic, hands down. Anybody can benefit from you, but I know you will. I know you will. And you know it's almost close to two hours. <laughs> and if you got a college student, if you have a, a family, a student that's coming from an urban environment, wherever they're coming from, make sure you share this to a parent, share this to him, because I tell you, this show will be phenomenal. But housekeeping things first, 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 first. We got Minority Trailblazing merch. We got the hoodies. We got the t-shirt. We got the V-necks for the ladies. And I'm excited, excited, excited to showcase that. So you can go to MinorityTrailblazer.com to go ahead and cop your merch. So once you do, send me a shout out and I got something special for you to make sure you go cop that merch. Second, Minority Trailblazer Conference is live and direct. And guess what? For listening to this podcast, you get $50 off early bird admission over the next two weeks. Yep, two weeks. And here's what you do. You go to mtbconf.com. Let me say it again. mtbconf.com. And use promo code MTPODCAST. MT is capitalized podcast to get $50 off. And yo, I tell you, this conference is going to be jam-packed with phenomenal speakers, phenomenal energy, phenomenal setup. It's going to be in Durham, North Carolina at the Convention Center. I can't wait. March 9th and 10th. That's a Friday and a Saturday in 2018. So I am pumped up. You will have way more information as we go forward. I haven't went public with it, but I just had to debut this thing on the podcast. And last, but certainly not least, thank you so much. And I say this from the bottom of my heart, man. We just wrapped up the Minority Trailblazer first ever tour. And when I tell you the feedback, 
the people I met on the road in Houston, Atlanta, D.C., not Chicago, Charlotte, uh, New York, and in my hometown, Durham, and A, and A, I can't forget the A. Man, we had over like 400 attendees. And every single stop, we had so many actionable takeaways. And I have so much content, I don't know how I'm going to share it with everybody. But I'm just so blessed and honored that you paid your hard-earned money to come. And not only did you come, you added value. It wasn't like we were just sitting there listening to me talk. Like I, I, I hope that like you share with your friends because yeah, we had the live podcast. We had the small group session before that. After that, we had the PSA segment where I had speakers come in and share their stories. Then we had the four corners and networking. I mean, so many dynamic individual stories, meeting people that pulled up on me in the Maserati, meeting people that like run companies that are world worth over a million dollars in the black owned like just to see so many stories of success so many stories of like going through persevering and everything else and man y'all made a dream come true like this is just an idea and they pack out six different venues and states that i've never even been to houston before and i have so much love and i mean i'm just so grateful and i can't wait to go back on the road and we're gonna be doing it every single summer i'm gonna be drinking the minority trailblazer live series to corporate America and to colleges during the fall and the spring and select cities. So if you're in a college, let's let's set it up. Greg at greggehill.com. Let's set it up. Guess what? Also, 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 since I'm on a roll and I'm excited, we at Harvard University October 4th. Boom! <laughs> we at Harvard University October 4th. And I just can't wait, man. Like this is just an honor and an opportunity. Because guess what? I got I got I got denied from a lot of this is this is your message right here. This is when I go to my I got denied from a lot of business schools. I didn't take the application process seriously. And I said, yo, at the end of the day, it ain't it ain't in my calling. And we just went all in the podcast and the speaking, the things that just transformed and, and grew. But it is crazy, crazy, crazy and surreal to be able in such a small time, not small time, it's 13 years in the making, to be at Harvard University talking to a group of CEOs in the Innovation Lab. Shout out to Joanna Smith and the team for, for hoping and creating this vision, creating this drive. And it's just, it's the power of being one connection away. I did one podcast and I gave it every, every single podcast I get on, regardless of who I'm interviewing. I don't care if I'm interviewing somebody that's like high profile, or low profile. I give it every single thing I got because like I said in Kareem Taylor's podcast, Every opportunity is the opportunity. And what does that look like? That looks like Harvard University. That looks like we're going to international locations like UK, South Africa. People are like, yo, you ain't even like a celebrity. You're not even big time yet. Like, how are you doing these things? First, it's not me, it's God. But second, it's being one connection away. And when I do get that opportunity, whether it's small or big, killing it, dominating it, treating it like it's my only opportunity. And side note, I wasn't always this way. I'm not even going to preach like I was always this way, but I made a decided decision last couple years ago that anytime I got on the mic, anytime I got on the stage, anytime I was in connection with somebody else, I would say, yo, it's my time. I'm going to start a show. Actions. Let's get it. Let's eat. Let's dominate. And yo, 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 you one connection away right now. Whoever you are, wherever you're listening, I guarantee you're one connection away right now. But guess what? When you get to that connection, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Two things. Two things. Two things. One, add value. Add outrageous value. More value than you ever can. Like under promise and add value. And the second thing, once you add that value, once you get to the spot, you got to do one thing and one thing only. What is that one thing, Mr. Hill? You got to ask for what you want. A lot of people don't. 
my first part of my speaking career, I got paid literally nothing. And I gave my heart, gave my blood, gave my tears. And I would go to these schools for free sometimes. $50 to three hour sessions doing so much. And they go, and my gas tank below E. I can't eat. I'm struggling. I'm, I'm in living in cars. This after I'm motivating, pumping up people. Because guess what? I didn't have, they said, what's your price? Your budget? Nah, I'm good. It's for the community. All this stuff. I didn't ask for what I wanted. I know I at least needed gas. I know I just needed this. So guess what? Now when you ask me for, like, what's your price? Oh, I I got that thing. You're going to have to sign some big checks, right? I got that thing. Like, if you say, okay, what can you do with this? Okay, here's here's the budget. Here's this. And um, even if there's no budget, okay, here's uh, here's how we can align and get sponsorships. Here's how we can do this. Like, I asked for what I want. So I, hopefully that was something. To provide you because this podcast, like I said before, is going to be life changing. I got one more personal plug before I get into the intro. Last personal plug: we are in the midst of getting sponsorships for the Minority Trailblazer Conference. So, if you work for a corporate company, if you have your own company, we have our sponsorship packages ready. We're trying to get our first on the books within the next week or so, and then the goal is 100k. So, let's get it, Greg at GreggyHill.com. And let's make it happen. So, to set the text, set the tone for this show, man, like this, his journey. All I, let me let me get a couple snippets before I get into his intro. The man saw his father, I believe, at like seven years old, for thirty minutes. His father's committed a lot of crimes, murdered some people, gang affiliated, one time his whole life, from Compton, California. Raised in the hood. And the show he described the hood vividly, like what it looks like. Then you go to Temple, he dominated Temple. Dominated Temple. Then went to Wall Street, dominated Wall Street, and also made a lot of connections. Did his thing with the humble, unique, and joyful spirit. And now he has a full ride tuition based, full ride tuition based, full ride tuition included. At Dartmouth University, one of the top schools in the world for business. And his ambition, and he's going to do it, I believe, is to be a global CEO of a company um, in the next 10, 20 years. And I know we can do it. And this interview, when I tell you I literally came to tears, I laughed so hard and I took so much notes. I listened to it again and wrote pages and pages of notes because it's that important. It's that deep. So when I jump into this intro, do not take this episode lightly. We're going to a whole nother level this season four. I believe this last like 69 episodes, my interviewing skills have gotten better. Not my, my like, It's just everything is, is coming together. And I'm excited to introduce season four with my brother. So let me read this intro and let's get into the show. On this show, you interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation leaders. And you know we got a show for you today. We are seasoned four, three seasons in the books. And I am so glad, so happy, so overjoyed to bring one of my brothers onto the podcast. And I know he has a story, but more so he got some practical strategies and tips for those that are looking in to get into business school. 
those looking to get into high finance, and just in general, those are looking to live a fuller, maxed out life. So I'm gonna read a snippet, a snippet of a bio because I got a book. Because that's by season four, all your your <laughs> podcast guests have like a lot coming with them. Like season one, my bios are like a couple sentences because I was just starting off. I got a couple. Now I got the the big meaches of the world. So when this brother become a billionaire or own a part of a team, he can just remember the little people that like had him on the podcast a couple years back. So. <laughs> uh, let me jump into the bio. He is currently an MBA candidate at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth, where he's a consortium fellow and has earned a full tuition merit-based scholarship. And those of you that are looking to get into business school and that have looked at the prices of the top business schools in the world, you know that's a couple hundred grand saved. So don't sleep on that. Prior to school, he was an investment professional at BlackRock within a defined contribution businesses partnering closely with corporate and public institutions to develop a comprehensive suite of investment solutions that address the retirement needs of their employees. And he began his career as a lead portfolio analytics advisor to BlackRock's global multi-asset strategic businesses. He's also an ardent champion of youth development and low-income communities. He has served as a mentor coach and co-chair of the Mentor Leadership Council for American Needs You, an organization that fights for economic mobility of first-generation college students and as a junior board member for Children of Promise, an organization that supports children of incarcerated parents. Intensely focused on self-improvement, he was a 2014 fellow of New Leaders Council, a politically progressive training organization, and sat on their advisory board for their New York City chapter. He was also a 2016 fellow in the Council of Urban Professionals and Organizations that empowers, mobilizes, and connects diverse professionals. In 2016, he received the Professional and Community Achievement Award from World of Money for, his, for Global Contributions. Originally from the inner city of Compton, California, he earned his BBA from Temple University with honors, scholar distinction, and an international business and finance specializing in Spanish and Latin American studies. At graduation, he delivered the commencement address to the audience of over 10,000 people. A former Benjamin A. Gilman International Scholar as well, he has a deep passion for travel and immersing himself in different cultures. Hence, he has traveled to over 25 countries, city-states across five different continents. So I know that was a media introduction. We're going to break down the finance piece. I'm excited to bring this brother on the show. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my brother, my dog, Darren Lee, to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Welcome to the show. <laughs> How you doing, Greg? Hey, man, we on it, man. We excited, man. Let's get it. Let's get it. I love the energy. Love the energy. Love the passion, man. Yo, people would be like, are these guys like drinking it like at a happy hour, like at 5, 6 p.m. <laughs> in New York? <laughs> and we at 8 a.m. on Eastern Standard Time on a freaking Wednesday? <laughs> you got to bring that energy every day to everything that you do, man. So I love it. Everything. I was on the podcast, on last podcast, the one with freaking, who was it? What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Oh, my dog, my brother, Kareem Taylor. And I told him, I was like, yo, every single opportunity is your opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. Never let an opportunity go to waste. <laughs> Never, man. Like, There's no small conversations. There's no small podcast interviews. Every single one is your last. Because you guess what? I always talk about on my YouTube. I'm going to stay right here before we regard the power of one. When I say the power of one, and I want you to speak on it too after I kind of get my standard thing, because you never know who that one person who listens is, right? Mm-hmm. One person who you views is. And sometimes we look for big numbers and all this other stuff. But it's if that one important person is like, yo, 
That's that's I love that part. I like that whole story. Oh, shoot, that's Darren. Oh, shoot. I mean, I gotta I, I listen to a story and shoot, I got a position at this hedge fund when he, whenever he graduates. Like if that one person, but mm-hmm. a lot of times we get lost in these thousands and don't care about that one. And it's just like I don't know that 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 concept of 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 one and really embellishing and, and really holding true every single moment sometimes get lost in your chase to your dreams. Man, that is so real. And I think I think another thing that you hit on there is that. I think a lot of people just don't realize how small this world is mm. because that one person that, that that's listening to you could be connected to you by second or third degree via LinkedIn or whatever the case may be. And then you realize that, man, you guys actually have something in common. You guys actually have a touch point, whether it's a school that you went to, the neighborhood you grew up in or whatever the case may be. I think a lot of people just get lost in the masses in terms of, oh, man, there's 300 million people in the United States, 7 billion people in the world. There's no way I'm going to be able to to connect with a lot of different people. But I mean, to your point, you get on that podcast, you inspire somebody. Next thing you know, they know somebody that knows you or know somebody that knows somebody that knows you. And there you go. And now you got you got a quasi warm introduction to this person. Mm-hmm. Case in point, I, I, I released this group by the time of the podcast got to be live. Um, I have an opportunity in October uh, to speak at Harvard University. Right. So, OK, it's just pretty it's pretty big. But um, I appreciate that, brother. And it all started because, I mean, when I had I interviewed uh, Dr. Stephen Alsop, man, a fraternity brother of mine, graduated from North Carolina Central, then got his Ph.D. at MIT. Now he's a residency at Harvard. I took it seriously. Of course, I take everything seriously, but we had a great discussion, great engagement. We put it online. And then somebody from Harvard was like, oh, snap, man. Like, I love the interview. What do you do? That, 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 that connection developed. And now I have opportunity to speak at one of the most prestigious universities in the world. Mind right. you. So all that from a guy, I ain't deeper than that many people. And a lot of people have podcasts. A lot of people have a story, but we were able to connect those dots. And what I want to do before we jump into the podcast, I'm going to get a quote from you, but. I really want this whole podcast where we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about um, your come up, your grind. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about you know, your, your your middle stages with, with finance and then talk about your next journey in this business school. Because people that just listening to the podcast, they're going to be like, oh, snap. OK, Tuck, Dartmouth, um, full, full ride, honors, mm-hmm. commencement. I'm like, who right. is this guy? Like, oh, who is his parents? Like, come on, man. Like, it's like, it sounds good. BlackRock. And for those that are not in the finance space, BlackRock is one of the premier financial institutions in the yeah. world. So it's going to be like, all right, cool. And what's his story? And I, I, so I really want you to bring some life to it and bring some depth okay. to your, your grind. But before we get there, can you please, please, please give us a quote or a motto that you stand by giving us a story of how you apply it to everyday life? Yeah, and I, I think from from a quote perspective, when I first heard Jack Nicholson say that in one of his roles, but a lot of people say this, it's, you know, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. And for me, that really speaks to, I grew up in a, I grew up in a troubling environment. And if I didn't have the support of a, of a over, overbearing mother, I guess, for lack of a better term, I could have easily went down the wrong path. Or if I would have listened to a lot of the friends that I hung out with, I could have easily went down the wrong path. But the idea of this quote is that you don't let your environment shape you. You shape the environment. Right. And I think you can apply that to anything, whether it's the environment that you grew up in, whether it's the company you run in, whether it's the company that you keep. And when you think about it, is that you have control over what you surround yourself around. You have control mm-hmm. over your community. And I think that's important because at the end of the day, your community is what shapes you and your community is what helps you accomplish what you want to accomplish. To do that, I need to shape a community 
around me to be able to push this mission forward so I can have the impact or we can collectively have the impact that we want to have in the world. Mm, I love that. I love that. I love that. So we're going to stay right there, man. We're going to stay right okay. there because um, I want you to share with our audience and take take as long as you want. This is a conversation with our piece, but take us from growing up in Compton mm-hmm. and your, your circumstances and first what led you to Temple. So like, take us through that whole yeah. journey. Yeah. So, so it was an interesting experience. So <clears throat> I would say my time in California, I spent 18 years collectively in California. It was broken up into two parts. So I would say in Compton, California, mm-hmm. spent my formative years there until I was 10 years old. And then we moved to the east side of Long Beach. So in Compton, California, my upbringing there, single parent. And sadly enough, it's it's one of the common stories within the black community. But my, my biological dad was in and out of jail my entire life. So uh, he suffered from not just drug abuse, but he suffered from violence. He's murdered people. My grand, my, my dad actually was a gangbanger. And so were my half siblings. I had two half brothers and a half sister that I never met. All three of them gangbanged as well. Wow. So my relationship with my biological dad was was non-existent or very limited. I met my dad once when I was seven years old for 30 minutes. And I think what's interesting about that experience is that at the time, as a seven-year-old, I called him dad, right? I called daddy. That's what you, that's what you do. <laughs> you call, you call your per, you call the person daddy. But in hindsight, I'm like, man, he didn't even deserve that title. And you'll realize that I never referred to him as father. I always referred to him as dad, because in my mind, you need to earn a father, right? Anybody can be a dad, but not everybody can be a father is how I see it. So I grew up with a with a very, very strict mother. My mother has been through through so much and I didn't appreciate it growing up. But I have so much love and respect for my mother because not only did she have to deal with my father's uh, drug abuse and gang violence, but he was also abusive. And that was a consistent I mean, verbally and, and physically. And that was a consistent story that I saw throughout my upbringing wow. with the. Uh, with my with my biological dad, but also other boyfriends that, that my mother had. So really, it was like her and I against the world when we think about it coming up in Compton. And in Compton, I lived in a blood neighborhood. So I lived over on uh, over on Golden Street, right near the Swap Meet, near Looters Park. And Looters Park is where, where all the bloods hung out at. Mm-hmm. And so so I went to went to elementary school. And I, I was a bad kid. I was just on a bad path, Greg. Like, I was always <laughs> getting into trouble. I was just... just <laughs> That's crazy. And in the trouble and everything. But when I look back at it, it's because I had so much hatred in my heart, man, to be quite honest. You know, you're growing up without a dad. Everybody else got a dad or everybody else got some male role, some consistent, some constant male role model in their family. And for me, I didn't I didn't have that. Really, I, most of the people in my family are female and male with. So so that was my time in Compton, California. It's very troubling. And then we end up moving to east side of Long Beach. And now just to give you some perspective. So we went from the hood of Compton to the hood of Long Beach. <laughs> mm. So the, the east side of Long Beach is actually where, where, where Snoop and Nate Dogg grew up at over in, that, over in that part of Long Beach. And so that experience was interesting for me because we moved in so late, I had to go to a different high school. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not a different high school, a different elementary school. So I had to go to this elementary school that was predominantly white. It was still in a school district where it was predominantly white, public school. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting because that was my first experience with racism. Oh, wow. Right. That was the first interaction in fourth grade with racism. And now I'm in a situation where people are saying, hey, you can't wear this, that and the third. But I'm like, hold on. Why can't I wear this Raiders jacket when the white boy Brian over there is wearing, you know, it's all skulls and bones jacket or shirt or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And then that, that that's really when it starts shaping in my mind. Oh, damn. 
okay, one, I'm actually seeing, I'm getting a perspective of how other people live for one. For two, I'm getting a better perspective of how I'm viewed as a black male in society. But then three, I can look back at my current situation and realize that it's not, it's not optimal. Mm-hmm. And that was an interesting because that was, that was when my mother, my mother's first husband and that didn't end up well because you know once again he was he was abusive and so that didn't end up well and it was interesting because then when I went to middle school I would never forget my fifth grade teacher Miss Schuster she told me and what you what you'll hear as I go through this story you will hear that there's been like this one person in my life that Mm has kind of steered me in a certain direction right Mm -hmm. so in fifth grade it was Miss Schuster who said you should go to this middle school Right. And then I went to that middle school and ended up having an awesome time and just killing it. Had a three seven GPA in middle school. And then I they had GPAs crazy. in middle school, bro. They had GPAs in middle school, bro. <laughs> that was deep. <laughs> right. And, and, and I was president of my middle school. And then what I realized, so I was, I was having this success at, at, at school and the success was stemming from, from the fact that I was in an environment where I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not comfortable in this environment, to be quite mm-hmm. honest. And not even comfortable. It's the fact that I'm not this what I'm doing in my what I'm doing, if I do everything that my friends on the block are doing, it's not gonna happen. In middle school, we were living in the projects in Long Beach, predominantly Crip neighborhoods. So now I'm moving from a blood neighborhood in Compton to a Crip neighborhood in um in Long Beach. And so that had its own issues, right? Cause I'm used to wearing certain colors and we living in the projects and everybody's running up on me. It was like, was bracking and being sarcastic and all this other stuff. So I had to change my whole flow and things like that. But, but in middle school, that was an interesting experience because I was able to see that, you know what, I need to get, I need to better my situation. That's when I started really becoming ambitious because I'm like, man, we eating the same shit every damn day. My mama going through these abusive situations. We ain't got no damn money. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that shit, that shit motive. That's the motivate you. I don't know if I'm cursing, but like <laughs> that, that, that stuff motivates you. And so when I thought about it, uh, in middle school, I had the teacher once again in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I had a teacher pull me to the side and say, "Hey, I think you got a lot of talent. You should apply to the California Academy of Mathematics and Science." And that was high school. Mm-hmm. And now high school, Greg, to be honest, high school was probably the single most transformative experience. All right, break it down. Break it down. Yep. Yep. Because high school was a period of time where. Things were a little bit better at home. My mom was in a loving relationship now. He's my stepfather to this day, which is great. But at, I mean, at the same time, I was still battling this. I was still living in two worlds. Mm-hmm. So at home, at, at high school, my high school was one of the top high schools in the country. We were ranked 21st in the country out of 18,500 plus schools. So highly regarded public magnet school with the sole focus of taking minorities and putting them into STEM-based fields. Mm-hmm. So, man, we, the opportunities that, that I received in high school were, were vast. I was able, We were going to NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory wow. every year. We had 15-year-olds interning with Boeing, et cetera. And a lot of us came from lower-income backgrounds, so it was just an awesome experience. But at the same time, that's when I first started seeing black people with money outside of the Cosby show on TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I started actually talk. I had friends who were part of Jack and Jill. And I'm just like, man, what the hell is this Jack and Jill? And I'm, like, learning about all of this stuff, and I'm seeing how things move. But at the same time, I'm just like, okay, now I'm in an environment where I'm being pushed Right where I'm, I'm around blacks, I'm around Asians, I'm around a lot of just non-whites, a lot of minorities, 
and having and, and being challenged to really further myself. And everybody here wants to take over the world. Mm-hmm. They want to be the first black woman to do this, or the first Asian to do that. And, and so, but at the same time, so you got those ambitious people, but some of those people come from money, some of those people don't. And I was one of the people, of course, that don't. So at the same time, I, I had that experience, but then when I went home, very different story. You go back to a crip neighborhood. I can't tell them I go to this math and science school. Mm-hmm. So I was lying. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to, I go to Carson High. Like, <laughs> I go to Carson High. Before like, social media, so they couldn't really find out, really. Exactly. Before social media, they couldn't find out at all. So, so and after I did that because, one, it is, I think it's a lot of, it, it's an issue that, it's an issue that a lot of us in our community struggle with. And I think it's something that we need to, we need to do a better job collectively as a community is that why do we ostracize people that want to do well in school, that want to, they want to get good grades, that want to be a CEO or a business owner or whatever the case may be. We only really support people that want to be athletes and rappers. And I think that's just something in our community that we collectively need to get better at. But by me wearing those two different jackets, I was able to, I was, it, it, for me, it amplified what I didn't want. Mm-hmm. Right. What I didn't want in my life and going through high school, I've I changed mentally so much because of the experience. It was the hardest four years of my life so far academically. Like it was so much harder than college mm-hmm. easily. And and I changed so much. But I, but I, I, I realized more and more. I said, you know what? Like this is going to get me out the hood. This is going to improve my socioeconomic condition and allow me to assist my mom when needs be. Because we still living in a project eating chicken five, six days a week because that's all we can afford. Not because we choose to, but that's all we can afford. And, you know, with food stamps and things like that. And I'm just like, OK, let me continue focusing on this. I just never I never really gravitated towards the sports stuff. I love sports and things like that, but we didn't have a lot of athletes in my family. So it's not like <laughs> I it was, was doing that. Yeah, it was in a blood. Right. So I was like, OK, I'm not going to be Kobe Bryant or whatever the case may be, although I love Kobe. So let me focus on this academic piece. And it started be. It started coming a bit more, bit more natural to me, and I appreciated it. I appreciate the grind. I appreciated the idea of using my mind to to create something, right, and to really help shape, shape, have a broader impact. Because in my mind, not everybody can be a star athlete. Yeah. Most people don't, people don't make it, right. But if somebody becomes a star engineer, or somebody becomes a star engineer, they can impact thousands. Yeah. Right. They can impact mm-hmm. thousands of their community. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like let let me go ahead and. And continue on that path and do that. And and like I said, those four years in high school were, were very transformative. I had my first international experiences there. I was doing business competitions in high school, statewide competitions, coming in second and third place, sometimes first place in capital market competitions with the Federal Reserve. Like, man, wow. it was it was it was an eye opening experience, to be man, quite honest. That's phenomenal, bro. And I want to I want to before we go to the college and to professional, I want to I got three questions. Um, mm-hmm. First question is, can you and you don't got to get too deep, but can you break down that dynamic mentally, though, having a, a father that um, by some accounts, like you said, was was a felon was a murderer and like and how yeah. how to did how does they do deal with those type of things on um, mostly because i mean shoot you're a role model to so many on what you do professionally and i know you've impacted right. so many kids lives and whatnot but still when you go home at any day when you talk to your to your girlfriend when you talk to yeah. mom dukes i know it got to be in your back of your head like dang bro like this still still is like do you do you do you does he alive do you keep in contact or what is that like man i, I yeah that's a good question i mean 
it's it's hard to deal with it. Uh, I would say I'm much better at it. If I'm being really honest, mm-hmm. I'm much better at dealing with it now. I would say high school and college, it became even more difficult to deal with the fact that I didn't have a dad. Right? It's because I mean, I mean to be quite honest, man. I remember there were times and there are times in college where there was just so much going on mm-hmm. and things going on in my life. And then like you always got those moments. And at the same time, my mom and I weren't that close. So, at the, so it's like, damn, like what kind of what family can you go to? You know what I'm saying? Like, who can you go to 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 just be like, man, I have this situation. How do I do this? Whether it's school related, whether it's female related, whatever the case may be. And in moments like that, you wish, as, as well, at least I did, you wish you, you had a male figure that you really mm-hmm. loved that was your blood that I could go to. And because I didn't. So that that just reiterated me like, damn, I have a dad who is not around. Um, on a contact piece, man, when I say I met him one time I, at seven years old for 30 minutes, that's literally the only time I physically seen him. After that. It's been it was letters back and forth because he was always in and out of jail. So it was letters back and forth. But that's just that's just what it was in terms of my physical interaction. It was just that one time when I was seven years old. And like I said, dealing with that, dealing with that is tough, but I've gotten much better at it. And I think I don't know if this is good or bad, but I'm at a state of mind right now where I'm focusing on the strengthening the relationship that I have with my mother, because when I look in hindsight, I mean, she shielded me from she she was a. She wasn't a, a mother per se. She was a father. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The way my mother talked to me was probably the way that a hardcore dude would be talking to his son. I, <laughs> like, I didn't. I didn't see this. I didn't see the stereotypical. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see the, the stereotypical emotional side of, of a female from a mother perspective until like college, mm-hmm. high school, college. So that's when her and our relationships started developing, and we started. I started appreciating more. So. To be quite frank, I'm I'm focused on yeah deepening the relationship I have with my mom, and I don't even worry about my dad anymore. And my mom's like, I don't have I don't have a dad. Mm-hmm. I got a great stepfather right now, and I got an awesome mother, but I don't have a dad. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of just just kind of do that. Do I want to see him? Yeah, I don't care. Um, to be quite honest, I really don't care. Uh, I think for me, it's like you know he made his he did what he was supposed to do, and you know this kind of this is the the hand out this is the hand I was dealt, but at the same time, I was dealt an awesome mother, mm-hmm. right? And I grew up with people who had a uh, cracked out father, cracked out dad, you know, aunties doing this, uncles doing that, grandma barely holding on, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, so when I think about it, when I think about it, it's like, man, at the same time, I need to be blessed even for the, the strong mother that I had because I had some friends who who didn't have that. So, yeah, that's real. That's real, man. And uh, thank you. Thank you for being so honest and sharing that, man. So um, second question, I think we talked about this in the hood and even myself, because I came up um, East Durham. And it wasn't the nicest place, but my, I was never, I had some single pair households, but I was, we had some old, uh, old apartments, but we never lived in the hood, but we never right. were like middle class. Like it was, we were in the, I was in the, the weird, I don't know, I was in the weird zone until my dad came through and he moved us <laughs> to the middle class day. But I want to break it down for our audience that, that come from different, different perspectives on what what is it like really living in the hood i mean especially in inglewood common so briefly could you share with us kind of yeah what's it like like? because we never like a lot of times society we never flesh it out people say oh i'm from the hood from the hood if you're not from the hood you like you you like okay i get you but you don't really so if you flesh it out especially every hood is different but flesh it out what it what it was like in compton 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny you bring up that question because that is true. I feel like there's like, there. I think people when they think of the hood, people a lot of people that don't grow up in the hood, they see NWA or yeah, they, they see rap, they see rap music, they see rap, and they just like, man, okay, that's what it is. Forties people tussling dice on the block. That's what I think. Right. Even I'm black, and I, and I grew that, up around what's it. That, what, what's the haps on the crap? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Right, ain't exactly. nothing but a gangster party. <laughs> that's like that's all you exactly. hear. Yeah, that's all. That's all you see is this glamorized view. And I mean, I think a lot of people don't really understand, and they think they understand. But a lot of people don't understand the mental state. So, to your question, in terms of what was it like day to day, I would say this. I would say my experience in Compton was different than my experience in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. My experience in uh, my experience in Compton and Blood Neighborhood, I tended to have better relationships with a lot of the people growing up. And it's funny because a lot of people are just like, I mean, but you were in elementary school. What are you talking about? And a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, kids are exposed to a lot of things at a young age, especially when your parents are always working and, you know, all you got, you watching TV all the time by yourself or you talking to people and all this other stuff. Like we're exposed to a lot of things. So by third, by kindergarten to third grade, I felt like I grew mentally very fast. Right. In terms of just by nature of being in the hood, I'm already kindergarten. You already talking about sex. You may not have a fleshed out idea what it is, but you kindergarten six years old. You already talking about sex. Right. I already got friends who were they understood drugs. Right. Because their mom was cracked out. Right. And then everybody making fun of each other and things like that. So like that was the that was experience. Also, to give you some perspective on my mom's experience in Compton. Right. So my mom was working two jobs. Right. Mm-hmm. So she we I mean, we have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning so just so she can get me to the daycare uh, center where she was able to get subsidized, uh, subsidized babysitter through the county because we were on the county at that time. So I had to get there by six, six thirty mm-hmm. so she can go ahead and catch the bus and make it to work. My mom used to carry a knife, a big ass knife in her bag, in her purse, mm-hmm. because she's out early in the morning by herself. Right. And then, so there's times where people that ran up on her and then we had to call the babysitter, the babysitter come through with a bat wow. <laughs> just to make sure that nobody's kind of running up on her. Uh, but but that was like the day to day situation. It was it was hard. Like I just remember I remember a lot of I remember I definitely remember a lot of struggle, like a lot of struggle in, in Compton, California. But what made it good was that I was more of a popular kid on campus. Mm-hmm. So that so that was that kind of in my mind balanced it out because I had some good friends and everything. Mm-hmm. Now moving to Long Beach was different because I remember when I moved to Long Beach, man, I was like, "Yo, these fools are harder than the cat." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I don't know. Maybe I was just more aware of that aspect. Uh-huh. But I was like, yo, these cats are not playing. Like, so when we lived in the Compton, I remember I remember the dudes. I mean, that's what I when I had my first drink in Long Beach, rather when we moved to Long Beach. Had my first drink because just the crew you're hanging out with. I'm like, man, I'm like sixth, sixth grade, man. And like at my middle school, the middle school was ran by gangs. My middle school was ran by gangs. And because I wasn't trying to get down with that, of course, I got pointed out as like, oh, okay. So this dude is is this, that, and the third. I got bullied, to be quite frank, in middle school. Um, so that was interesting because I got into a lot of fights. I got into a lot of fights in middle school. The thing is, in middle school in Long Beach, the, the blacks and Mexicans always had issues, and even the Asians always had. There's always a lot of tension with each other, mm-hmm. right? So at my, at my middle school, the blacks and Asians and Mexicans were always fighting. 
like always. So the popular gang, the popular wow. Mexican gang, you got Eastside Longos. They were a popular gang. Um, I forget the name of the uh, of the Asian gangs, but then on the black side, you had Rolling 20 Crip, and then you had Insanes, and you had YVs. And it's like, so the thing is, is that you have all these gangs on the middle school campus. So I'm like, this is sixth grade, bro. Sixth grade, Greg. Wow. Cats out here, gang, like gang banging hardcore. And there was one time where I even thought I wanted to get down with a tagging group, right? Not even really gaming, just tagging. I think a lot of it's ties back to what I was saying earlier in terms of not having a male rod, male role model to set that direction, mm-hmm. not feeling like I was included in anything, not feeling like I had certain family support. A lot of my cousins had already moved away to Louisiana. You know what I mean? So I, like, I didn't have a lot of that support anymore. And uh, and I was, man, I was going to get down. My name was going to be Kicks. That was going to be my name. And I thought I was what? doing <laughs> Kicks. It was like K-I-K-K-S, but you capitalize <laughs> the I, but then put the lowercase dot above the I. Like, it was, <laughs> it was bad, yo, it was bad. I, that, but I realized, I was like, man, I can't get down with this. And another person, another influential person in my life at that time was my stepbrother. Uh-huh. My stepbrother, well, he went to Poly High. Poly High is renowned for sports football team and track team. And, and uh, he, he was a lineman. He was a lineman, and he was real cool with all the gangbangers in our projects. And so he shielded me a little bit. Like, he always told him, like, yo, my brother doesn't get down like that. No, don't mess with my brother, right? And my brother was, you know, six foot, 300 pounds, right? Oh, so yeah, like, yeah. He was a towering figure. And so when a lot of the gangbangers saw me, they were just like, oh, okay, you big will brother. You big will brother. Okay, that's cool. You big will brother. So they really didn't mess with me. They knew I wasn't going to bang with them like in the project, mm-hmm. but it's crazy to see some of the stuff that that happened. So, like to your question in terms of day to day, right? I had that overarching theme, but I remember because there were a lot of, and because of the overarching theme, because there were a lot of tension between blacks and Hispanics, I would never go to the corner store by myself. Mm-hmm. Like literally, I would like I'm talking about to go two blocks to the corner store. I remember always telling, always saying to my friend, my my friend Earl, or one of my other friends. I hit up one of the one of the gangbangers that I knew, uh, especially one guy named Tech. You hitting him up and it's like, yo, Tech, roll me to the store real quick. All right, cool. And it's just not even a question. Like it, most people be like, damn, you just you going to the store to get some chips, <laughs> get like one of them quarter waters or something. Yeah, like that. quarter juices, right? But nah, it was a situation where I was legit fearful that some Mexican was going to kill me. And all of us, all of us in the black community on the east side of Long Beach, would like that because Mexicans will always come out. We want X number of black people dead. They'll always send the cops. The cops will always be on every high school campus and middle school campus, right on Cinco de Mayo. Because wow. the secret of my Mexicans always come up that we kill an X number of blacks. Boom, boom, boom. They try, we were trying to wipe out all blacks. So we were mobbed to the store yeah. just to get some water. Wow. <laughs> and so, so that was the day-to-day experience, though. And then every now and then, I, you see somebody get on. So I saw a cat get put onto his game. He got his whole jaw broke. Right? And that's just like, so you you seeing that experience as well. And it was just like, and that project that we lived in was just an eclectic mix of just a lot of a lot of different things. So so when you, when I think about a lot of stuff that's shown on TV about the hood, a lot of it is I mean, a lot of it, uh, you know, a lot of it is a lot of it is accurate. Some of it is glamorized for effect. But I think what's important is just the mental state that people are in. Mm. I think it's very easy to be surrounded by so much violence, so much drugs and things like that. And you just lose you lose hope. So they're, they're, I struggled with it growing up. I, I wasn't even perfect on this track. I, I lost a lot of hope, to be quite honest, at certain points. Like, man, maybe maybe I'm not meant to get out these hoods. 
uh, out this hood. Maybe I, maybe I'm meant to stay into in these projects, right? And and it's it's hard to lose hope, but it's it's just hard to to stay focused on certain things. But, but I was just very fortunate enough to be still surrounded by certain people that that forced me into that mindset. But how did you? Yeah, that's huge. But what was uh, was it? Was it your 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 lifeguards? Like I call them lifeguards, the people that helped you out. Like how did you maintain? How did you how did you have hope? Like what made you different? Yeah, yeah. Um. So I think you know it's funny because I think that question like what made you different is when I when I think about a lot of the friends that I grew up with, there were some friends that were legit. They should have been out of the hood too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They, they should have got out. We should have got out together. Uh, I knew some cats that died, right? I knew some cats that did the wrong things, got end up getting a six year bid at county and all of that stuff. But I think I think what I was fortunate enough to have was I had a strong willed mother, right? And then my mom's baby sister, my auntie, she was a teacher and she ain't playing no games either. Mm-hmm. So every Christmas should be like, you gotta get two books, you gotta get two books in the um and then one thing else that's like a game or something, but you always have to get two books, right? And you got to read them and then talk to her about them. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so she instilled little things like that. Uh, at the same time, man, high school, late middle school, high school, I found out that I had a distant uncle that lived in Vegas, mm-hmm. right? So I found that he was married into the family, white dude, right? Married into the family. And so I started connecting with him. And man, he used to fly me out every summer to the to his house in Vegas. Wow! And just say he's like, this is kind of what it is. And I used to talk to him. I'm like, Uncle, wow, what do you do? Cause I'm out here, I'm seeing big ass houses. I'm like, hold on, <laughs> drug dealer? Like, what you what you doing out here, y'all? Oh, and then he was like, nah. He was one of the first employees at Intel. Uh, oh. and he, and so he and I developed a, a really strong relationship. And Greg, he he was a large part of the reason of why I got out the hood. Like, cause I saw it, you know what I mean? I saw it. He was married to my aunt, my great aunt. These are older people that I met him when he was like 60 something years old. I'm just like, I I saw what he was able to do. He had a successful corporate career and now he has like all of this stuff. And whenever, whenever moms needed money, cause I had to pay for the bus to go to that high school. Mm -hmm. Moms couldn't afford the $400 a semester. I call up Uncle Wow. Uncle Wow be like, well, I got to send him money. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Just like no questions asked. And, you know, flying me out, taking me on trips, taking me hiking, taking me kayaking, doing all, all the stuff that I just don't get. Right. So I would go spend some time with him and then come back to the hood. And then it's like, man, but I now know that there's something else out there. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this is beyond Cosby show, whatever, where everything's so fictionalized. But now I can actually touch it. I can touch something that's out there. And that, I think, was I'm extremely I was extremely blessed to have him in my life because a lot of my friends in the hood didn't have that. They didn't have a distant relative that would step in and help them. You know what I mean? So it's just like one of these things where because I saw that, I knew there was more. Mm-hmm. If I didn't see that, I, I, I don't think I would have been able to overcome a lot of that self-doubt. Yeah, man, this is. You don't know how much you're blessing me. You're blessed. You're going to bless the the listeners. And I can't wait to, to share this with a, a lot of high school listeners too, man, because especially once we get to your professional point of your career and people like this, right. like this, this all this that is, I, I right. just can't wait to release this, man, because I know, especially my LinkedIn fam, I'm, I got a look good market copy. They're going to listen to him like, hold up, man. Like, because sometimes we, especially people of color as well, not just white people, right. we whitewash. We we whitewash, not whitewash. We put we, we paint with a broad brush 
um, students that, well, we would quote, uh, troubled students. We would say, oh man, you are, y'all, y'all go through this, whatever, but you made it so vivid. And I, I think that's needed because we sometimes we don't really get what really goes on there. And I say go right. like every hood, but we just okay. Oh man, they just gotta my mom. Your mom's work hard. You maybe never see my mom. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about these kids that at five, like I said, that are seeing their moms coked out, that are seeing right. heroin, that are seeing people die, that have right. to walk two blocks. Like it, I, I'm glad that you made that drawn reality because I mean, some even myself, even here now, I'm real almost. I almost teared up a little bit because I mean, I, I you it just, teared up. <laughs> no, seriously, bro. Like, yo, like, because I mean, I see yeah. what you do now and just thinking because I never even had to go through that. And I mean, because I'm a teacher, I taught last year. And right, not to right. say Durham Hoods is the same as Compton because they're not. Right. However, a lot of kids at young ages see things that no, not, not even some of us adults have seen. I've never exactly. seen nobody even do cocaine or heroin or anything of that, that nature. Right. So to see it six years old and see how that will warp you mentally. So do you really right. think that kid is going to come to your class and be like first row with it? <laughs> well, see, and, and, that, and that's the thing. That, that, that's one of my biggest things about, about the educational system in the United States. I mean, there's, there's a structural issue in terms of how it's funded. That's a whole separate question. Mm-hmm. But then there's a, a separate topic. But then there's a thing with how we actually teach people. To your point, you're trying to teach people math science, all of this stuff at an early age. He just saw his mom overdose or coked out or some of them's moms a prostitute or like think or some of them were abused. Like it's just like there's so much going on, especially in the hood. There's so much going on because some people, all three of them things happen to them. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like there's so much going on. How can you adequately Say that you know what it's their fault for why they're not learning. No, mm. we need to we need to change our structure and need to address a lot of societal issues and a lot of the trauma that the kids go through because it's hard. Like I remember, like there's times where I was in class, there's no way I could be focused on on this test or whatever because you know my my stepdad beat my mom ass last night. You know what I'm saying? Like, and now I need to go to class the next day. You know what I'm saying? So like mm-hmm. shit like that. Stuff like that, it, it gets it gets in your head, but like a lot of people in the hood were dealing with that, and it's just like, yeah, they're not worried about some standardized tests, yeah, because we ain't, we haven't even addressed the trauma that they've been that they're going through and currently go through. Mm, man, you know? wow, that's a lot, man. That's a lot, and I I still want to because I, I mean we get this is just this is just a blessing, but I do want to ask one question, um, mm-hmm. another question before we move to college and professional, yeah, um, how. At the high school you went to, what what would you say were the key principles that allowed them to take inner city kids yeah. and have them achieve on such a high level during high school? Because they had multiple internships during high school. What, yeah. what what was in the water that allowed that to happen? Well, so I think the first thing, I think the first thing that was in the water water for the high school is that they took people that were in similar situations as me and mentally in that. We were people, a lot of us that grew up in the hood, we were people that already kind of realized we wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. And so so to get into my high school, you had to interview. You had to present a math or science project. Mm-hmm. So you had to interview to get in. But then they also interviewed your parents. Mm-hmm. So they interviewed my stepfather and my mother. And they put them through an interview process and asked them questions and things like that. And you got interviewed by two people. I got interviewed by a senior person at the college that the high school was located and a ninth grade English teacher. And so there are people that are already on the path mentally where it was, I want to get out the hood. So all of us, 
And mind you, there was a, it was a mix of people. There are some of us from the hood at that school, but there are a lot of people from from money who were at that school. You know what I mean? Okay. So it was one yeah. of these, it was one of these things where, especially like a lot of the Asians and uh, the Middle Eastern folks, a lot of them came from money. And so it was a situation where, you know, we we were already mentally focused on getting out. So when we got there, we just threw our all into the process. And the process was so rigorous at the school because the school focused on work ethic. The school ideally focused on like the goal of the four years is to get you ready to succeed at a top engineering program. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's the focus. And so, I mean, I remember ninth grade, man, like that's the, that's the kick my ninth grade kicked my butt, Mm -hmm. (laughs) kicked my butt, man. And it was a situation. It was a situation where it was just like, at the end of ninth grade, I was just like, one, I don't want to do engineering anymore. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But two, I was able to I was able to explore some because the school had a lot of resource and I was able to explore business and explore finance. And that's why that's how actually I was able to get interested in finance is, is in 10th grade doing all these competitions and learning about it. I'm like, oh, hold on. This is hold on. This, this is good because engineering is like, yeah, you can impact people. But I'm like a business. You can make money. <laughs> I was yeah. like, you can make money. And if I, <laughs> now, granted, if I would have knew how the world was going to turn out. 10, 15 years later, whereas like you got engineers coming out of undergrad now making like 180k. Oh, easy, 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 right? Houston, bro, <laughs> give me a bag. <laughs> what? What? Take the what and lead the what? Exactly, exactly. I would have took a different approach <laughs> if I could have saw the future. But what I did was I said, you know what? I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stick with the curriculum, but I'm not gonna go above and beyond in the engineering aspect. I went above and beyond in the business aspect. So that was an international policy aspect, but I didn't get involved in like our robotics competition, right? And my high school had a renowned robotics group and we took champ- national championships every year. Like it was just, or, or making sure I get that internship for Boeing at 15 years old, right? You know what I mean? Like I didn't go above and behind in that aspect, but you know, in hindsight, I probably should have. Nonetheless, Still had an awesome experience, and the school was very supportive. That's the thing, too. The school was very supportive, and because the school was so small, you did, you got that benefit of that of that student teacher relationship mm-hmm. and that faculty focus. And that's what a lot of schools in like the Long Beach School District and LA Unified School District don't have, right? You got thousands of people at the school for one, for two. Since there's a lot of gang and violence at the school. Everybody got metal detectors and stuff like that. They don't use lockers anymore, things like that. So it's like you treat these people like prisoners. <laughs> yeah, people feel like they're walking into a prison five days a week. And so my school didn't didn't have that. We had 146 people in my graduating class, and so it was it was very fortunate. But but on that on that high school piece, and then actually going into college before we get into that phase, like I I just didn't know which college. I wanted to go to. I just knew I kind of had to do it. Right. I, I just heard like I talked to my uncle. Oh, this is kind of what you do. But I was just like, man, like what school should I go to? Uh, I mean, I was already actively involved with a black student union. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I, of course, I applied to Howard mm-hmm. and, and decided differently later. We'll talk about that. But I, at the time, I was like, you know, let me go ask my counselor. And again, it's that that privilege you don't realize in the moment. But once you better understand the broader educational system in this country, being able to walk into my counselor and have a one on one conversation with him with no with no appointment mm-hmm. scheduled. You know what I mean? Just like 
you should that 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 that's beneficial. And I said, hey, he's like, what are you interested in? I said, look, I want to do international business. I want to take over the world. You know what I mean? Just like yeah. that's start having those grandiose plans. You know, business, finance, money. Yeah. Um, I speak Spanish. My mom, everybody, everybody in Southern California speaks Spanish. I'm like, I speak Spanish, right? <laughs> um, like, like I kind of do something international. So I had this international experience in high school. It was an interesting experience. Like, I want to do more. I want to travel, do all of that stuff, and then just get get out the hood, right? And and he was like, you should look at Temple. Wow. Was like, what? <laughs> right. Just like that. Just like that. Like the meeting lasted five minutes. I was like, he's like, you should look at Temple. I was like, whoa. I was like, what is Temple? Then I was like, oh yeah, Bill Cosby went to Temple, right? <laughs> so you see that, that Temple T in the Cosby show, right? Yeah. He always had the Temple T in the living room. So I was like, oh man, okay, Bill Cosby went to Temple. Man, I started doing research. Temple's international business program was top ten in the country. Uh huh. Seventh in the country, and I was like, "Oh, well, that's that's what I'm going to apply." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Is, but that 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 all all of those ingredients collectively at the high school are the are the those are the type of things that got people to thrive. Because a lot of us, you you didn't feel like somebody actually truly cares about your development, mm-hmm. right? A lot of it's the people. Mm-hmm. Like, who truly cares about your development? We didn't take standard algebra, geometry, trigonometry. I never took, we never took math classes that would help you on an SAT, mm. which is crazy. So people had to like get separate SAT courses and things like that, but I'd have had the money to do that. So I went in and took an SAT without studying code. Um, but like a lot of us didn't take traditional classes. We took, we took case study based math classes because mm. that was the SAT. I didn't take a traditional, quote unquote, traditional math class until senior year of college when we had to take AP calculus. But freshman or junior year of college, yeah. Man, they threw you in the AP calc? Good God. And of course, that's the thing. Everybody there has to take AP calc, right? Everybody has to take AP English, government history, all that stuff. Take those AP exams. California high school exit exams. We had to take that in 10th grade. Most people got till 12th. Like, it was just like those type of things. You know what I mean? It's like, like, man. That's crazy. Just, that's I can crazy. Go on. I can go on forever and ever on like how man. how that school changed me, man. But I I love it because and that's why I just love the 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 format of the podcast because of course we have tactical and practical stuff. But I think you have you highlighted on it with the high school stuff. It right. in the day you can know every business strategy in the world, you can know every hack, every tip. But if you do not have if your mind is not right, if your mm-hmm. mind is not constructed in a way to kind of see things from a holistic standpoint. None of that stuff mm-hmm. matters. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I see people all the time. Yo, Greg, how do you become a speaker? People probably reach out to you. Hey, yo, how do I get on BlackRock? How do I get on finance? You can mm-hmm. tell them every resume hack. You can tell them every interview hack. You can tell them all this other stuff. But if mm-hmm. they have not in their mind conceptualized, okay, how I'm going to add value to this company? Do I even, should I really be at this company? Like, and they understand their own self, then none of the stuff that you give them even matters. And plus, you can get mm-hmm. it all online. And I think, and, mm-hmm. I, and it came to me in my head, like, you got to prepare your mind before you prepare to grind. Yeah, you got you got to have the mindset down. Because the, the, the mind is everything. Because everybody's grinding, but everybody ain't everybody ain't winning. <laughs> yeah, and we, right, right, right. It's, I, I think because I think a lot of people, I think to your, to your point, a lot of people kind of mentally say, you know what? I want to be successful. Mm-hmm. I want to be a millionaire. I want to work at this. I want to go to this school or whatever the case may be. But I don't know if a lot of people understand the work behind it. Mm-hmm. Like you always, I think we always get a mindset around, we always get a mindset around, you know, being black, 
of being a minority, being a part of just a marginalized community, you got to work twice or three times as hard. And I think that that that's knowable to people. But I think what a lot of people don't realize, and I, uh, we don't do a, a good enough job at this just in general, is that we have people think that the end all be all is to have a strong work ethic, work hard and all of that good jazz. But that's just the baseline. Mm. Right. That the baseline that you're going to kill it in school or the baseline mm. that you're going to do a good mm. job. Like what matters is creating certain relationships to expose you to the mm. right people yep. so you can move up. And that's mm. what it takes, right? If you look at if you look at a lot of people, a lot of people grow up, a lot of a lot of, a lot of especially a lot of a lot of white people, a lot of people that come from affluent backgrounds, they grow up with dinner table conversations. Mm-hmm. In terms of you need to network, you need to build this relationship, you need to do this, that, and the third. And when you realize like we none of us grew up with that, or at least me, none of us, a lot of us didn't grow up with that. Mm-hmm. And so we gotta create that. We gotta create our own dinner table conversations, getting involved with certain networks around the city, professional development networks or whatever the case may be. And I think a lot of people don't put enough effort into that because you got to you got to keep that going. Mm-hmm. Right. You got to keep that ambition up. And a lot of people don't put enough work into that to, to see different things, to see how people move. Right. How does Greg move? How does Darren move? How does Ben move? How does whoever move and just really crowdsource? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, Ooh, like I love that. Ideas. Yeah crowdsource ideas and crowdsource approaches on how you go about and actually tackling problems like that's what matters <laughs> that's what yeah. matters. everybody everybody just assume you got good grades and good job and all that stuff so if everybody assume that then that's not going to differentiate you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's what people got to realize i love it it's like even before like you about to go to cali just to talk to some contacts like for some people be like hold up you about to do i mean are you going to vacation and take okay you do that but it's like it's 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 positioning it's massaging and that stuff comes over time and i want to say i think you hit on something real real essential and the the, the baseline like the grind is the baseline I, I, it's so real because i was i, I was on a youtube video i was watching a uh, rick ross um and p diddy like a couple years ago and they said something so deep and i was like yo he said yo we had to we had to work so hard just to be average like people don't understand how much work it takes just to be average and you want to be good you want to be great you want to be phenomenal (laughs) or something like you want to be elite millionaires like change the world like it takes so much to be average like imagine look at your life right now right so I know you have way grander, grander goals, but just even look at your baseline is just working at BlackRock, right? Say he's working at right. BlackRock. Right. You, it, it's a, probably a mind-numbing amount of hours in positioning and strategy and failures and yes and no's yeah. just to get to that point before Tuck, right? Yeah. But some people look at that and be like, yo, like, okay, that's like this light work. No, it just takes so, so much, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, exactly. And I think what a lot of people have to tell people is that First of all, Temple wasn't even a core school for BlackRock. Mm. So, That's so <laughs> BlackRock wasn't showing up on campus. So what I did was when I was interning at AIG in New York, I left work early one day, popped up at BlackRock at an event that I heard about from a friend, showed up uninvited, unregistered, mm. said, how you doing? My name is Dan. I go to Temple and I'm currently at AIG. I want to get in here. And then they were just like, hmm, let us think about it. And then they ended up letting me in. And then I, I leveraged that to the best of my ability. And I took took all the cards I could, kept in contact with them. They told me they were going to be at Penn six months later. I skipped my accounting class, mm-hmm. right, to go to that event, right? Things like that. It's like, what do you prioritize? In my mind, I'm like, look, I'm going to get a good enough GPA, right? But at the end of the day, 
even if I had a 3-9, that doesn't mean I'm going to get in a BlackRock. Even if I had a 2-5, doesn't mean I'm not going to get in a BlackRock. You know what I mean? It's just like, you got, I think there's a lot of people don't realize, like, because of that hustle, because I I was able to network with them and set up a super day the day before I flew out to Spain for my study abroad at Temple. And then they called me when I was in Spain, like, yo, you got the offer. And it's because, like, it's because I developed relationships with them. Like, when I graduated school, I knew people with sub 3.0 GPAs that had jobs, and I knew people with 4.0s, summa cum laude, all that, no job. Mm-hmm. Because it's about the mental state. It's the grind. It's the grind, man. It's the grind. And yes, the education is important and things like that. Like, like I said, that, as I mentioned earlier, that, that's the baseline. But people that have that grind, they can they can get away with the with the sub 3.0 because at the end of the day, man, that's what business is. Mm. That's what business is at the end of the day. No one cares. Like, at the end of the day, people care about your grit. They care about your grit. They care about you making the money. Make it. They do- care uh-huh. about you making them money add and value. actually having an impact and adding value. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of three nine GPA people who can't add value. <laughs> right. And that's nothing against them, but I'm just saying like, you got to change your mindset around these things. You got to get good grades. Right. But understand that that's the minimum. Mm-hmm. Like I think a lot of people don't understand like that is the minimum. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, man. Oof, stay, stay there. So, uh, we're gonna jump right into college, and we're gonna, I, I, let's, let's, we're gonna, t- we're gonna be brief on this, so we can hit the professional point. But okay. I have to, I, I would, because normally I would skip college, but I think the reason why I wanted to definitely talk on college for you because even in MOT, and I, I love the MOT program because MOT hey. people like yourself, people like Quentin, people like Dorian, people. I mean, I'm, I'm there's so many women, black women that are killing it too. So I'll be remiss to just yeah. mention all these men, but, um, that have like just changed my whole perception on what it really is to like just be creative and just do stuff. And you stood out from, from always, like when I first met you and just seeing your, your, your resume. Cause I think you had some resume workshop where I looked at my resume. Cause at A&T, I was like one of the top dogs. I said, oh, my right. resume's sweet. I had GE <laughs> on that thing, Johnson Johnson. Man, I saw your resume one time. I said, "What the fuck?" It was like, oh, "Come on, man!" No, it was like two pages. I was like, "Bro, we only we only juniors in college. Like, what? How many jobs does man have? Like, I see international this, this, that. I'm like, wow. bro, what in the world?" So I said, "I got, I cannot skip your college segment because I think you just just so much moving and shaking. So if you could tell your story, but in a way where." There's three key takeaways. And I know that's on the spot, but you're a speaker, so it's cool. Three key takeaways on how you were able to freaking max out in college, bro. Because I know there's college, the college kids listening to this. There's some parents listening to this. And I just want them to kind of get in the sauces of um, doing it. So please brag on yourself. This is the time to brag. <laughs> okay, so how, how, did I ma- how, did I ma- how did I maximize college? Okay, so I think there were a couple of different things. So because of the training that I had in high school and because I was able to get involved in certain networks, I already came into college understanding the power of relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. So the power relationships and the power of having a structured plan. And so there's a couple of different things. A lot of people get involved with like the MLTs and things like that. And those are great programs. I would even challenge people to seek out those type of programs earlier on, especially for a lot of the, a lot of the high school students that, that may be listening. I was fortunate enough to get involved with certain business programs in through high school before I got into college. So I was involved with UCLA Reardon Scholars Program in 12th grade, the Academy of Business Leadership in 10th grade. And then I was a part of this scholarship organization called South Central Scholars, right, that really took a lot of people from the hood with similar backgrounds as I and really gave us a lot of gave us a, a small scholarship 
uh, and really gave us some resourcing, mm-hmm. right? Gave us resourcing to really help us maximize college. So, for instance, because I was able to get into the scholarship program for those in the hood, the mentor that I was assigned, uh, uh, Alex Rubicava, which is a, a great mentor who was very influential, very influential in my life. He ran it. He was uh, he ran his own hedge fund at that point in time, and he graduated wow. Harvard undergrad. Your mentor ran then, his own hedge fund. Yes, what? my mentor, my mentor, eighteen years old, ran his own hedge fund. He <laughs> graduated. He went to the can, you, can you explain what a hedge fund is? Because I know some non finance people, right. real quick. No, definitely. So, a hedge fund is an invest is essentially an investment firm, and they just use different strategies, right? They use different investment tactics to to maximize return or to max or to generate an outsized return for their investors is, is the simplest way to say it. Yep. And they can bet, they can long or short it, which means bet on a company growing or bet on a company failing. And so this dude, right, Mexican background, Brent went to Brentwood private school, Harvard undergrad, ran his own hedge fund. And now I'm actually seeing him next week, uh, this week, he runs his own VC firm. But so this dude grew up with the resources. You know what I mean? He grew up. I'm 18 years old. I'm in a scholarship program and he's assigned my mentor. Wow. <laughs> so he and I having conversations at the summer camp. He's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, man, international business, but more investments, all this other stuff. I was like, man, I've been reading. Everybody said I should do investment banking. He's like, you know what banking is? I said, no. <laughs> I was like, I'm 18. I just, I just been reading. Like, you know, people have been saying I should do this investment banking thing. And then he was like, don't do investment banking. He was just like, this ain't the 80s. You ain't got to do that no more. Uh, so I'll go, he's like, you should look at asset management, mm. right? He's like, he's like, continue to get good grades. And so freshman year at Temple was from a grade perspective, was easy for me because I told you my high school kicked on, but let me tell you, I graduated my high school with a 3.0 GPA and I was considered honors. Wow. It was real in the field. All, was, that's why all GPAs ain't the same. Cause I, I, exactly. I, ain't, gonna, I ain't gonna touch it. I ain't gonna put, I see, I see some public school 4.0s and I'm like, whoa, what? You all you GPAs, send them to the you send them to the forest. They ain't coming out. And, and all GPAs are not the same, bro. <laughs> not the same. So anyway, so from a school perspective, I was still able to party, have a good time, and still get my work done freshman year. So I was like, okay, cool. Let me focus on the internship thing. Because I had him as my mentor, he was like, yo, you should look at investments. You should work at a hedge fund. I was like, the hell's a hedge fund? I didn't know about it. He got me an internship with his friend, right? And it's the power of relationships, mm-hmm. right? Power of relationships. Got me an internship with his friend. I had an interview process. In hindsight, the interview was kind of light. I had an interview process. Freshman year, freshman summer, right after completed freshman year, I was doing small, I was doing research at a hedge fund. So I'm 19 years old, interning at a hedge fund for 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. Back here, back home in LA. Now, granted, never had a car, didn't have a car, couldn't afford it, right? So stayed with my mom for the summer. But I was catching two, I was catching a train and two buses. Every day to that internship, two and a half hours each way. That's five hours round trip of traveling mm-hmm. on top of an eight-hour day, mm-hmm. right? And I did that for 12 weeks. So now I'm coming back on campus, right? You and I met sophomore year. Mm-hmm. I come back I come back sophomore year, already had an industry-related internship mm-hmm. because of the connection through South Central Scholars, in addition to all my other extracurricular activities on campus and things like that, and then my grades, Got into the honors program, did all of that stuff, right? So, so now that that the power relationships is a consistent theme that I see. But at the same time, I started thinking on the other piece too is the other the other key takeaway for college is have a structured approach to what you want to get out of college. And I'm thinking about this now too with regards to business school, but in college, 
the good thing about Temple is that they made everybody flesh out all their classes for four years. Mm. So you had to with, with a little bit of flexibility, right? They had some things because people were just like, yeah, if you want to be a business major, engineering major, they tell you you don't have to decide your major to junior year. But let's be real. You need to decide that now or you're going to be here five, six, seven years. Right. Yeah. So you kind of wanted to kind of want to do that. So I already just doing mad research. I was just doing a lot of research because mind you, I'm already in the research mode from my high school. So I'm already. And because of all these developmental experiences that I've had, I already knew kind of how to, mm-hmm. exactly the power relationships, but how to work the ecosystem. Because that research, man, you have relationships plus research. You right. have relationships, no research, then you know how to leverage. But yet the research piece, oof. Right. Exactly. And because, like, for instance, because I got into the business honors program, now I was able to apply to an internship at AIG, which I ended up getting. Right. Or because I'm in an honors program and I came in with a structured approach. Now I was able to research the international business piece of Temple because I was like, "Look, I'm coming here because y'all seventh in the country. Yeah, like what? Y'all must got some really good resources in <laughs> for like for international business stuff, man. And a lot of people don't do this. It's 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 crazy. A lot of people say, "Oh, I don't want to. I, I don't want to do the research. I don't want to do this and the third. Or there's no money out there, man. Temple sent me abroad for free so many times. Like literally, they sent me to China for a ten day business conference." I had to write a report on that. And that's how I was able to graduate with honor scholar extinction. Or I did volunteer activities in Peru and Costa Rica. Or I was doing all of this other stuff. Or there were international opportunities where I was able to go abroad to Spain for four and a half months for a semester. And some people say, man, study abroad, that's expensive. Study abroad was the only semester that I had fully paid for by grant money. Wow. Grant and scholarship money. Why? Because I'm a black. I was a black male studying abroad, and a lot of people don't realize that black people, of course, black people don't study abroad relative to other uh, ethnic groups. But black men study abroad less so than black women. Mm-hmm. So if you're a black man, you get every scholarship you apply to. That's how I got the Benjamin Gilman Scholar scholarship with the U.S. State Department, John T. Pettis, and all these other scholarships. Where I had a surplus in funding, right, for that semester, so I was able to use that excess cash and travel around Europe and Northern Africa. Yes. So, right. So it's like you, it's like leverage. It's like having that structured approach at the beginning allows you to do that, because what I realized is that a lot of people weren't asking these questions. So I'm the only person showing up to faculty like what the money at? Mm. And they're like, oh, boom, we got this. Mm, we got this grant over here that we never talk about. You know what I'm saying? Like We got this grant over here that we never talk about. Write some essays for this. Cool. Well, that's it. Came back. Mm. Oh, OK, cool. That's what you're going to do. I found a program that was already structured, things like that. Oh, you just need help for it. OK, boom. Here's three thousand dollars. Go to China. Mm, you know what I mean? It's just like <sighs> you, you got you got to you got to kind of like work, work that ecosystem and do it. And that's what I was doing throughout all of college. That's what I was doing throughout all of college. And by the end of college, I traveled to over 10 countries. I mean, I got that grant that I got to, to for honor scholar extension. I was the first undergrad in the school's history to get it because it was usually only given to grad students. Mm-hmm. Like, man, it was just an awesome, an awesome time at Temple. There are a lot of different things. And because in because you work in a network, right, you work in a network, there's other things that you can do on a social aspect. Mm-hmm. I, was in, I, was, I had great friendships. I was homecoming king one year, which was, which was, which was hard because that's a 30,000-person school. So I had to convince like 50,000 <laughs> <laughs> But, like, because of those working in networks, having a structured approach, right, and understanding the impact that you wanted to leave on Temple's campus Man. or on, on campus. Those three things for me 
allowed me to maximize school because I have I have no regrets. Academically, I had a great time. Socially, I have friends that are going to last a lifetime. Friends through on campus, but even through MLT with you and through other groups that I was in. And then impact in terms of things that I did with our investment association and becoming a founding leader in that and being a commencement speaker and like all of these different things and getting all these awards, like the highest awards ever given to student by the student affairs groups, like all these different things culminating in terms of here are the three things that I want to accomplish. I had finance internships every summer since freshman year and I left with a job. And it's just like now I've crafted this narrative where it's like, you know what? Here's the blueprint. Hopefully I can inspire some other people in this. But now let's move on to the next phase. Let me continue using this model. Mm-hmm. Let's move to the next phase. Man, that's you put the bow on the end. And I want to highlight two things. I don't I, I want to make sure people did not miss it because I know you're speaking from a college perspective. But I think that aspect is going to be applied to everything in life about being intentional. Cause I know, mm-hmm. I mean, so many people that work in corporate, I hate my job, but all this stuff. No, don't say that just yet because yo, your job has so many untapped resources as far as people. How many cats listen to this podcast? You think right now, have you asked your manager for do, to do personal development? Like all these conferences that you want to go to, bro, especially if you work at the top, uh, one of the, one of the, like these consulting firms mm-hmm. or even every firm, even when I work to do in the, as a financial, financial management analyst, they were like, yo, we got 15,000 in budget and we never use it each year PND. Like y'all just, y'all don't use it. And that could be, mm-hmm. you could be just going to anything. But if you have, if you research, you're like, okay, here's a conference I wanted to. And you can strategically use it to fund your, mm-hmm. I guess, your passion, whatever, to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing, another big thing I, I took out of that is there's, there's no use of having a network if you're not working that network. Exactly. Exactly. And the thing is, it's not, it's, it's all, it's all about working it to, Working it to, in my mind, working it to have a positive impact. Mm. At the end of the day, I just want to have a positive impact in whatever I do. I want to help others. That's my thing. And it's funny that you bring up the the, the corporate piece and the, the untapped resourcing because that's a huge thing. A lot of people weren't putting in the work and the time to get a lot of scholarship funding, right? It was a situation where it was, okay, let me fill out this grant at, at my firm. Let me fill out this grant. Let me apply for the $5,000 scholarship or whatever the case may be. And that's cool. But realize that you want to have a meaningful impact. So with American Nisha organization I was in, organization that helps first generation college students because I am one myself and because I re- the mission really, really hit home with me. My thing was I say, you know what? We got this grant thing. OK, that's cool. You gave us one of these grants. But let's take it up another level. Who do we got to talk to that is senior in HR or whatever group for us to actually make some real connectivity? Mm-hmm. Right. To actually make how do we get BlackRock to be a formal partner of America needs you and contribute annually, contribute to monetary value on an annual basis. But at the same time, not just money. Right. How do we get people to give their time? How do you get people to give their energy and their resourcing, career panels, interview prep, net, whatever the case may be? How do we get these how do we get these black and Hispanic children, these first generation college students ready to compete at the level that they need to compete at? for these internships at BlackRock. And you ask those questions, you are connected internally with the right people, and now we have an awesome, we have an awesome relationship. Well, BlackRock has an awesome relationship with American Need You. American Need You gave BlackRock a game changer award in 2014 and 2000, and this year, 2017. So like we were able to make significant strides, and now we've also, with some uh, co- combined with some other initiatives, now we've significantly increased the number of black and Hispanics in BlackRock summer internship program. When I started there, there were two. I was one of two black people <laughs> in, wow. a, in the internship program. Now it's significant. Now 
we talking we talking 20 30 plus percent of the internship class right black and hispanics and that's increasing you know what i mean because we got the right stakeholders to buy in because we got the right nonprofit to partner with because they do they on top of their things they doing what they need to do right and it's just like it's just it's a beautiful movement <laughs> to be quite honest because it's like now we're significantly changing the face of the firm but also other areas of asset management and giving opportunities to people who that's all you need you just need exposure you mm. need exposure to the right people no just because you're from the hood or not doesn't mean you're less smart or more smart doesn't matter you just need exposure yep mm. you need exposure you need to know how to navigate whatever exposure is given to you that's it and that's what we're doing we're, we're giving we're giving kids exposure Yes. So the jump right, right in this thing on the same flow. How are you able to, to, to maximize and get the most out of your, your career at BlackRock, man? Yeah. So, so BlackRock was a, was a great experience for me, to be quite honest. It was, um, wasn't perfect, but I think, I think I took a lot away from it. And yeah, I think this is a constant theme. It's, It's constantly tying back to to the network and the, the supporters. And so I was very fortunate enough to have a managing director as my boss, who's from South Central LA, Barry Magnus. And he, you know, is one of the, he was one of the few black managing directors. And for those who don't know, the managing director is, is essentially the highest level you can get to before you hit the C-suite at, at BlackRock. And he's one of the few black managing directors at BlackRock. And he just really just took me under his wings. I think him being from South Central LA and me being from Compton, we connected on that, right? And we just we just connected, and him along with other people just continued to just be my support system, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But by that time, by the time I started at BlackRock at 22, I've already been networking for so much for so long that I just realized that boom, I need to continue doing this, right? And I was able to. I was able to not only work on the desk because when I first started, I was doing like 100 hours a week on the desk. But at the same time, you got to make time to go to the networking events. Right. You got to make time to go to the networking events. You got to make time to to uh, meet with certain people. You got to make time to keep up those contacts and develop those relationships. And so that's how I was able to really maximize a lot of time at BlackRock because of those relationships that I had with a lot of people at the firm. I was able to get on good projects. I was able to get a lot of good opportunity. A lot of people helped me figure out kind of which group to move to, how to move, who to connect with. And these are black and white people. It wasn't just black people. So it was just like I developed a, a good group of support just across the spectrum. Right. And and BlackRock, since I started there when it was less than 10,000 people, it was still relatively ran like a small business. So just by nature of that, I was able to connect with certain people as well. And it was just an awesome experience, man. A lot of, like I said, a lot of the networking, a lot of the opportunities, and take advantage of those opportunities. But at the same time, when you get those opportunities, crush it. <laughs> yeah, cr- like, yeah. Like, crush it. <laughs> like you gotta, you gotta crush it, man. Because you, you just not go like to your, to your point earlier. Never waste an opportunity, right? It's just like you just gotta, you just gotta crush those opportunities. So when I got them, I crushed them, and so got promoted in two years on time, which was good. Some, some unfortunately didn't get promoted on time. But uh, then I moved to a group. I was in analytics and I moved to a sales team. And that was great. And really took on a, a good lead, a good amount of leadership responsibility within the South. There was one guy in the South and then myself. And we were in charge of putting together investment solutions, or raising capital for our investment solutions from public and private institutions. And it was awesome. It was awesome to work on things 
oh, we brought in a $4 billion deal and to see that publishing pensions and investments. And you can read something in a media, just read online, like, man, I worked on that, right? <laughs> like, now you got, now you got something you can, you can tell your managers, you can tell whoever. And it was just, it, like I said, it was my first corporate experience. Sad, sad to have left them, but I was there for six years. I was there for six years and I learned so much and I've got so many contacts from BlackRock that, that I'm continuing to keep in touch with. So I'm very, very fortunate of that. But now it's on to the next phase, man. So I'm excited to see to see what that brings. Yeah, man. So it jumps us right into our future round before we close it out, man. And uh, what what is, I, and I guess we can contextualize this NBA experience, but in your head, and I don't know if you're a big forecaster for the long term or really live the day to, like day to day or in the years, but what's mm-hmm. next, man? I mean, okay, you came from Compton. We we talked in depth about that journey, which was a journey to say the least. We talked right. about college experience. We talked briefly about your corporate career, but right. what where, like where do you where do you go from here, man? Like what's 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 really your 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 game plan right now? Yeah, so I think the game plan right now is to get on an explicit path. To being CEO of a global company. Mm, I love it. I lo- All right, let's mark this time. It's Wednesday, August 9th, 2017 at 9.29 a.m. Remember this. Remember this moment, man, where you right. been. Like, yo, I'm telling you. Remember this. That's huge. Yep, yep, yep. So, I mean, the way I see that happening is through consulting yep. or general management. Mm-hmm. Right, general management programs. A lot of these programs explicitly put you in a position for you to develop an understanding of strategy, organizational functioning of a business, but then also gives you a lot of that C-suite exposure so you can spend time better understanding what senior leaders think about. And I think at the end of the day, that's what that's what I want to do. I think it's very important for people to kind of like know themselves. And and this is why I, 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 I value a lot of what, of what you do, Greg, because it's you know, being an entrepreneur. Right. And I think a lot of people got to be honest with themselves. It's like, are you more of an entrepreneurial type or are you more of like a corporate type or entrepreneurial is a term that people use. And I feel I feel like at this stage in my life, I'm much more of an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm much more of that type. So for me, it's like, OK, let's let me get the skill set to get on that path. And what's interesting is that I look at my experiences so far. I got sales experience. I got analytics. I got all these different experiences, but I don't have any strategy experience. I don't have any management experience. And it's doing that homework and doing that analysis of kind of starting from the end. Where do you want to end up? And then working backward to get that skill set. And so that's what I'm doing now. And I think I think Tuck at Dartmouth is, is going to be a phenomenal experience. I'm, the, the, the school is renowned for its network, is renowned for its resourcing. There's a lot of different things I'm able to do there. So I'm actually in the process now of structuring out how how my two years are going to look up there. Just to make sure, as I mentioned earlier, with same Temple, going there with that structured approach. And and so I'm looking forward to that. But but that's the next step. That is that is the next step. That's the that's the long term goal, man. Long term goal is to is to run a global company. That way I can have the most impact. Yeah, right. love that, love that. And before we go to our uh, our culture change round, I do have one last question on this. Oh, two, two last questions. Um, the first being, if you if you could go back five years, right, and t- five and, years, and and tell yourself one thing, what would you tell yourself, knowing what you know now? Man, um, five years. Can I? Uh... Can I go back a little bit further? Maybe it's like eight years. Yeah, go ahead. Years. <laughs> it's your show, bro. So, you know, one thing I, w- I wish I would have like considered 
coming out of high school, right? Coming out of high school, I wish I would have considered uh, just Ivy League institutions as an undergrad, mm-hmm. right? I just never really considered it. I just, well, I thought about it, but I was like, eh, there's no way I'm going to get in, right? <laughs> it was just like, and I think it's just the idea of, I wish I would have had more confidence in myself earlier on. In an environment where you have to struggle, you have to grind, so you're used to work, mm-hmm. right? And it's just, everything we talk about today, it's just different forms of work, but you're used to work. You coming from a, a different place, and what you got to realize is that if you compare yourself to somebody who grew up with a dinner table conversations, and you didn't, you grew up at a, at a disadvantage to them, but you end up at the same place as them, what does that mean about you? You about you to freaking I mean? dominate. Once you get in there, there ain't no stopping you. Exactly. And like you've seen a whole different side of the world that these people haven't seen and can't and can't relate to, which means that you're much more well-rounded. And that means that that's an additional value add. Right. So I wish I would have had more of that confidence in myself at 18 years old, at 18 years old. I mean, I developed it over time, but it took a lot of work. But I feel like if I had more confidence in myself, I would I would be looking at life differently. Maybe I would have started a business right out of high school or out of college or something like that. I just I just wish I had more of that at that point in time, because then the world is even more of your oyster. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, it's crazy. But I, I love that analogy because I think let's think about the Transformers. Right. When the Transformers are, are uh, like, seriously, you think about Transformers and like when they are fighting, like there are five individuals fighting one guy. It's like usually even battle. But when they all join together, right, have all these things and they fight one guy that can't be stopped. Right. So that's right. why I, I, I see what people, especially people of minorities or people of black extent, once they can, if you can cap put the corporate hustle with the street and marry it. There's no way you can't dominate their lane because they only right. got one way. Like, right. so that's why you just got to find a way to get into the door. And once you get in the door, it's game over. And they know that. That's why, that's why the education system is what it is. But I mean, it's mm-hmm. a whole different conversation. They know that because right. you give us the tools, you give us the same tools. You, there's no way. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, give me, give me the tools and put me on the field. That, that's and, it. and why, 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 like, like Booby Miles said in Friday Night Lights, watch me spin, coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> watch me spin. Let, let, let Booby spin. <laughs> <laughs> man, I love it. I love it. But uh, last question before we enter the rapid fire round, man. Um, and I hate to always get, get morbid so fast, but when it's all said and done, man, how do you, Aaron Lee, want to be remembered? Man. Like, how do I want to be remembered? Yeah. I think there's a few different things, right? So I think there there's some, as, I, as, I, as I've gotten older and been fleshing out a lot of my values, I think there's things that are very important. So for one, I want to be a positive role model to all people, especially for people that come that come from where I came from, right? For one. For two, I want to be remembered as a loving husband loving father if i'm if i'm blessed enough to be able to have kids uh because uh, as somebody that never grew up with a father i want to ensure that my kids have an example with a good parent or good father at least it looks like so that's how i like to be remembered amongst my family change the lives of thousands i just want to continue to help improving people from disadvantaged backgrounds improving their experiences connecting them with the right people 
Like that's what I want to continue doing because it's such it's a I mean, think about it, man. To this day, only like 11 percent of first generation college students actually graduate on time or graduate at all. And it's like we need to continue promoting support for that for that group of people. So so that that's big for me. I mentioned the the, the family man piece because as somebody I just, I just want to make sure I have a have a solid family foundation in place because in my mind, if your home ain't, if your home isn't right, there's no way your career is gonna be right. <laughs> there's no way your professional career is gonna be right. So I think that's something important. And I think like the the last thing too is that I want to make sure that the that the impact that I have is is global. And I don't want it to be. Uh, well, a lot of people don't realize that you don't have to do everything yourself. It's about getting a a group of people together. And supporting them and whatever impact they want to support. So a lot of things that you're doing with the podcast, sharing stories, telling your story, writing books, etc. Like, how do I support a lot of what Greg doing or how do I support a lot of what Ben's doing, what a lot of our other people are doing? Because then if you're if you become an ardent supporter of that and a champion of a lot of their work, then that's going to help them go out and impact even more people, more people than you can even touch on a given day. Right. So that's. That's the thing is that like this person is Darren Lee is out here supporting a lot of different people to broaden his impact as much as possible, the collective impact as much as possible. And he's known as a and he's known as a as a, as a solid family man who, who cares about the family, of course. But at the same time, you know, he wants to wants to make a better life for everybody, including including himself. I love that, man. I mean, I think the whole theme of this con, uh, podcast, I'm going to go ahead and probably put this at the, one of the, it's going to be somewhere in the title is you, you're always one connection away mm-hmm. like the one connection away one connection um, lets another connection but one connection withdraw from what you what you have done you could be dead mm-hmm. like you can it, it just went it's like I, I when you listen to your story it sounds like I mean like if you ever wanted to like ghostwrite or collaborate on a project with someone that have like it, it kind of has an other West more feel have you read that book mm-hmm. No, I have not. It's basically a guy that there's it, it, it dialogues the story of two kids from the same town, and mm-hmm. one guy just got out the system, kind of similar, just exactly like yours. Got out, and now he worked in the Obama administration. He wrote books, he travels and stuff. And the other person, um, unfortunately, did not. And mm. it just dialogues their two different journeys throughout their pace, mm. and. That's what, and it's like you, it's always that one, that one extra person. That's why I always tell people, regardless of your career status or whatever, if you have some words of advice you want to give somebody young, specifically the young, do it because that one janitor, that one person that is a regular finance role, mm-hmm. not big, to say, yo, man, hey, says to that intern that's, that's looking at stuff they shouldn't be into online or taking extra lunch breaks, like, yo, dog, if you, if you just adjust this, then yo, you could change your career. Like, don't, mm-hmm. don't think, cause I mean, there's so many people that teach her. To this day, she probably still teach her. They probably still make it 30,000 a year, whatever. But she said, mm-hmm. yo, go to that middle school. That one piece of advice mm-hmm. changed Man. everything, right? It started this whole thing, right? What if she would have right. been like that day? Nah, he good. I'm not going to tell to him. He probably going to listen right. to me. What if she would have did that? Right. Or even Mr. Michaels in the eighth grade mm-hmm. said, you know what? You should go to that high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause it's very easy for me to be like, nah, I'm going to go to Polly or I'm going to go to some other school. Mm-hmm. But he was like, nah, you should go to that school. Man, I love this. Just love this, man. I love this, man. So as we wrap it up, man, which has been, it's crazy. I think, I, I just thank God. I'm just getting better and better. And, and it's just like, yo, cause this is, cause seriously, this is like one of, I, I, last interview I felt was one of the best interviews I ever had. This one, right. it, this one is, is if you, if you have any posts 
it's just, man, this is wow, 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 man. So as we close it out, I got the rapid fire round where I ask a series of rapid fire questions, hopefully receive rapid fire answers. And then we go get it right. Are you ready to rock? Okay, man. I, I can smell the eggs cooking, man. I can smell the eggs cooking. I'm thinking like, dang, I got to drive to Greensboro. I ain't ate yet. I'm starving. He about to jump off the podcast, go eat, go build, go get in a plane to Cali. I'm about to go. I'm like, dang. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so, all right, first question, first question, man. What is the best piece of advice that you have never received? Oh, man. You had to, had to switch it up on things, boy. <laughs> The best piece of advice that I've never received. Uh, I never. I wish somebody tomorrow. I wish somebody would have told me earlier on to be more confident and to use my background as a strength and not as a crutch. Mm. I had to learn that on my own. Wow, that's a. Ooh, ooh. Hold on. Let me let me write that down. Because, I mean, I always think, um, y'all, y'all give me so much love, man. Uh, because, like, as a speaker, I always think of, like, certain things. That's, that's so real because I think that's what I've been able to be genius level at is I utilize every story, every situation to to be pivots to, to other stuff. Like, uh-huh. and I think a lot of people, they may use, like, I mean, of course, I mean, you know, homeless, all this other stuff. They use that as a crutch. I'm mean, like, that's why I ain't. But I said, you shoot, I'm going to use it. I'm going to spin it on his head. It's always right. pivot points. And I think if you think of it like that, life becomes a lot, especially if you're, you, you've you been through, and this is not even race related. It's if you've been through a lot of things, uh-huh. life becomes a lot more different if you say, oh, that's a strength. Like, that's good. That made me tougher. Even if you don't believe it, even if you think exactly. it, like, no. Then you like F yeah, you would have been in high school like Harvard. Shoot, I, I don't, you know what I've seen. Harvard, is, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a go, I'm a go to Harvard myself and be like, yo, y'all got to take me, dog. Y'all right. got to like, what's up? Make a way. Right. And I think that's one thing that's always made you stand out too. Is for the most part, not ninety nine percent, but for the most part, when you said you were going to do something, you found a way and you didn't find an excuse. Yeah, mm. that thing don't got enough excuses. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So if you could add one habit and take away one habit, what would they be? Uh, so adding one habit, Cons- get better at consistently exercising. So I've been training, I've been training Hapkido for the last year and Hapkido Korean form of martial arts. And, and that, and that's good. But when I look at what business school is going to be, business school is supposed to be in my mind, a mental transformation, but also a physical transformation. And I mean, I'm in decent shape now, right? I'm in good shape, but I want to be in excellent shape. I want to be in and then just awesome health, right? Because the road along the, the the road ahead is going to get harder, right? So I just want to make sure I'm I'm really up to the task, not just mentally but physically. Mm-hmm. So that's one habit. The other habit, man. A lot of times I just have a lot of like times where I'm just like laying around watching TV. It <laughs> <laughs> don't even be don't even be watching anything that's worth anything, right? And it's just I like to take away some of that. Right. Like, how do I I mean, I listen to podcasts. I I listen to a lot of different podcasts and things like that. But how do I how do I really become more strategic around a lot of my day? Like if I'm spending an hour, two hours watching random TV, what else could I be doing at a time that can still be enjoyable and fun, but be more productive towards my long term goals, uh, being a better boyfriend or a better partner or better better son to my mother or just better professional right so i, I really want to really want to flesh that out a bit more i love that and here's a here's a pro tip for all my listeners out there if you li- ever listen to an episode and we all when well, you know i always ask this question what happened would you take away 
if you have a solution to that that problem and you enjoy the episodes, you want to connect with people, it would probably behoove you when you connect to say, yo, I heard this. Have you thought about this? And add some type of value. I have a lot of people that when we do this podcast, hey, can you connect me with this? Connect with that? I'm like, all right. But <laughs> like, but it's like, yo, if you just listened and you could be solution to some problems or potential solution, they don't got to be hit. Right. But you can act like you thought, hey, man, I listened to the interview. I loved it, man. And I know you right. said that you want to do this. Have you thought about that? Then right. shoot, you, I know you probably be like, even if you know you're busy, whatever, you might say, oh man, shoot, in a month, I got some time. Let's definitely connect or whatever. Rather than you be like, right. yo, D, uh, I heard your story, blah, blah, blah. How'd you do this? You're going to be like, yo, I'm in business school right now. I don't got no time for that, bro. <laughs> but like, but at least, you know, cause I know yourself, you know, you're going to, you, you'll probably schedule it out, but it's like, I see so many people that just want so much, but they don't give anything. And yeah, it's just, the, the world ain't going to, the world don't work like that. You always got to give stuff. And I mean, you know, to be quite honest, I built a lot of connections and they and for the longest. They were just like, well, what do you need from me? I was like, nothing right now. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like nothing. And then over years, I didn't need anything. But when I needed that one big thing, though, mm-hmm. that's when they were just like, OK, because I've given so much to them over the last three to five years. And then when I asked for one big thing, support this fundraiser, charity, whatever the case may be. It was like no questions asked for make this. Can you introduce me to such and such? Oh, yeah. No questions asked. You know what I mean? Like, that's what you got to that's what you got to realize. Don't always don't always be a taker. You got to give. It's, a, it's all about reciprocity. Mm-hmm. That's what, it's all about. what is your favorite book and why? My favorite book. man. So it's interesting. So my favorite book for the longest has been Crime and Punishment. Hmm. Right. By Theodore Dostoevsky, a Russian cat. And. It's interesting because he he talks about he explores the concept of Hegel Superman and it's the idea that you're above everything in the world. Like nothing is above you. You're above everything. And it's an interesting concept because you 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 see an exaggerated version of it where this guy Sivigalov is going to extreme levels of taking this of taking that concept of Hegel Superman to extreme levels and is doing crazy different things but I like it for that concept because I think that's an interesting concept and because I thought it was very well written and at that point in time my life and even to this day I was I was always a big history buff I've always been a history buff and I was always fascinated with the intricacies of Russian history so that's that's, uh, that's my favorite book Luckily, we have never heard that book on this podcast before. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. New gems, new gems, new gems. Uh, last, yeah. last two question before our finale is: What is your biggest fear? My biggest fear. My biggest fear. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, the reason why, and I'll tie back into this. The reason why I love Kendrick Lamar so much is not just because he's from Compton, but he has. When you listen to a lot of his lyrics and a lot of his interviews. He and I have similar fears. One of the fears he says is that they're actually like, man, you just bought this house outside of Compton, but it's small. Like, why don't you buy like a multi-million dollar house as a rap star? You know what I mean? You need to be out here and do what all the rap stars do. And Kendrick said, he said, I hear you, but he said, you know what? This whole journey feels still feels surreal. Mm-hmm. He's like, this whole journey feels surreal. And I feel like I'm going to wake up next day. All my money going to be gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's an honest fear of mine too and I, maybe it's just like the situations that, that we came from um, but I resonated with that since he was, he's from Compton as well and I like there's times where I feel like everything that I, the journey I'm on is surreal and it's just like man what if I lose all of this and then I have to go back to Compton or 
I'm not going to have the, the global impact I seek to have. So it's that it's that failure. It's that it's that not just failure where you learn from something, and you can pick yourself back up. But it's like that supreme failure. Right. It's just like that, that next level, next level of failure. That mm. that that's my biggest my biggest fear, to be quite frank. Mm. Man, that's real, dog. And last question before we ask our customary coach change question. If you were the president of the United States, oh, what is the first thing you would do? If I were president of the United States. Um, so the first thing I would do is that I would focus on revamping the entire education system in terms of how it's funded. Right. I think the fact that property taxes make up a disproportionately large amount of school funding within local districts is insane. Right. Because then clearly that means communities with high levels of home ownership tend to have the best resources and supplies. So therefore, people with low, low, uh, low percentages of home ownership, i.e. the hood in the city, just tend to continue having poor issues. Oh, and poor, I, I and never poor, knew that. Yeah, and poor resources. So I think what's interesting about the education system in the United States is that there's, there's very little altruism behind it, right? And I think that's that's understandable, right? This is a capitalistic nation, so I understand it. It's not a socialist nation, but at the same time, I think what's interesting is that how we approach education overall just needs to be revamped, whether it's from the funding issue, whether it's from why do we make it so hard for people to get edu- educated here, but then they can't stay here. So they go back to India, China, whatever their country is to compete against us. You know what I mean? Like we need to make all this stuff easy. Like We need to have the notion that we want everybody to be educated, everybody to be literate, everybody to just be rock stars from an education perspective. And that's what Singapore did. And over the last, you look at over the last 50 plus years with Singapore, I mean, they went from a struggling country to being a a developed nation. And they're doing really well now. And everybody, uh, most people there are college educated, illiterate, or whatever the case may be. Right. So that that that's what I would do as president. I would I would focus on revamping the entire the entire education infrastructure. And I know that'll probably take up the whole first term and I'll probably lose a lot of political capital, but even if I was just <laughs> current president i will use all my political capital to to do that love that man that's freaking that's awesome 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 man so mm-hmm. as the culture change agent man and i everybody i bring on this show everybody's attended the tour shout out to everybody that's, that came out and show love on the minority trailblazer tour it was mm-hmm. phenomenally successful and i'm just honored and thankful for y'all present so but as you as a culture change agent, man, if you could change one thing about our society, uh, most specifically our African-American culture, what would it be and why? Yeah. So change. See, what would I do to change the African-American culture? I think it's the notion of I think we need to stop glamorizing. Stop glamorize or not stop glamorizing. We need to glamorize the non-athletes as much as athletes. And we need to support we need to support each other. We need to support each other in the fact that, look, you know what? Stop bullying kids that care about grades and that care about school. Just stop bullying them. And I think a lot of us, too, you can see this all throughout college. Right. We even see this throughout college in terms of the type of people we gravitate towards when we're dating people, whatever the case may be, tend to gravitate towards the Greeks or gravitate towards the athletes. And a lot of times you don't see a lot of people or you see different people gravitating towards uh, gravitating to people that don't have the Greek letters or don't have the athlete stamp or and they just want to focus on a, on the books. And I think a lot of that is rooted in 
just what just the mentality that we were raised in as children. We glamorize the, the showy stuff, right? The, the stuff you see every Sunday or every other day. We glamorize that. We glamorize all of that stuff, but we don't glamorize the engineers, right? In that movie, Hidden Figures, right? I learned so much in that movie. And it's like, man, this woman was out here doing B stuff for NASA back in the day. Nobody knew about, none of us learned about her in our history books, right? Nobody of us talked about her growing up in the hood, right? Like my first time knowing about that woman was was watching Hidden Figures. Like we need to do that. We need to be, we need to be supporting those people. We need to be talking about them just as much as we talked about Kobe Bryant or LeBron James or Steph Curry, right? Like that's what, that's what I would, that's what I would change about our community. Because then you didn't, you didn't have an entire, like let's support everybody in everything that they're doing. Media, entertainment, sports, business, law, not just focus on media, entertainment, and sports, right? Let's have some, let's have some focus around, around everything. And then let's exercise group economics, right? Because then we have a focus on what's, what's going to get us to a different level of intellect and what's going to make us money. Because let, let, let's be real. Asians do it. Jews do it. A lot of different groups do it. They practice group economics. They practice group support. They don't care if you're rich or you're poor or whatever. We're going to get this money together. You know what I'm saying? Or I'm going to help you develop. Right? That's what we need to do more of that. So that's what I would change. Yep. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it, man. I love that. You chopped it. You hit it on the head. And guess what? That's why we're here. That's why we're doing what we need to do so we can be able to kind of shift that group dynamic. So I know we're not in the same lanes, but now as I, as I continue to, to kind of broaden my, my, my width and my impact in this lane, as you continue to do so forth, now we have those connections. We have, you know, you have a, a lot of colleagues. I do as well. Then hopefully we can, I, I mean, I would love to be a part of building and they probably already have it out there, but for alum, young millennials, I have my conference, but a summit, a summit of sorts where right. people that from different spaces, not you don't have to pay to play, but there's some thresholds you have to meet in order to be able to get there. Because, um, I mean, for, uh, Forbes legitimizes some people, but I'm like, yo, we, we need to own some. that not like Black Enterprise. You got to pay $500 for a ticket to come. But more so, it's like, yo, we come and we just build and say, okay, how can we all use our collective, like you said, right. interest, to really start building? S- side note, shame on the NBA players, bro. Maybe, maybe, do, maybe they do it, but shame on these guys, bro, because you think, Let's just take it. And I know NBA players already heard it all the time, but if they're listening to this podcast, yo, you take the top 20 contracts, right? And if uh-huh. they hosted, say LeBron hosted his own summit, and they said, guys, we got a couple, like $10 billion right here. How can we legit change stuff? Instead of, oh, right. let me partner with Nike and let's get these basketball courts. I, I get it. That's cool. But on with your own diamond dollar, how can we just say, how can we just start shifting stuff? What, what would that hedge fund look like? Like, right. right, exactly. So that's why I'm not waiting on no athletes to do it. You ain't waiting on the athletes to do it. We got to do it ourselves because uh, that is what it is, man. So I'm excited to kind of to, to showcase your. This is just the, the beginning of your journey, which has also been filled with so much stuff um, to do it. So before we end, before we close, man, please. Uh, Definitely, I never done this before, but I think I did it early in the first season. But shout out anybody that you would like, and then two, let the audience know where they can find out more information about you and stay connected. And then we're gonna wrap it up. Yeah, and it's like for me, I just want to just shout out a lot of the people that's been supportive for me. So of course, my mother, every female in my family has been extremely supportive for me. All right, I mentioned a couple other important people: Alex Rubacava, uh, my uncle Al, Jabari Magnus. So many people to count. Just I just been so thankful for having as many mentors and sponsors as I've had to this point in time. 
And of course, I want to shout out, shout out my girlfriend Aisha Devonish, because she's been she's been in my camp for about four and a half, five years right now, and it's been very instrumental in my life. And if people want to find me, they can find me on LinkedIn, Darren J. Lee. And I'll be more than happy to connect with folks. Alrighty, so I know the Trailblazing Nation, you already know what to do, man. I am excited. This was I called it a beginning. Legendary episode. Thank you again. So my Noted Trailblazer Nation, you already know what to do. Make sure you go cop your merch at MyNotedTrailblazer.com. Make sure you go register for your conference March 8th and 9th, 2018. That's a Friday and a Saturday at MTBConf.com. Make sure you use promo code MT, capital MT, podcast for your $50 off. And last but certainly not least, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. So, 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 as always, I need you to do two things as I close out this thing. What is that, Mr. Hill? Change the freaking culture. Good night.